Hey, I'm back. It's Fred, and I'm walking along here. Yes, I'm walking along a river, which is raging, not well, in a small way along here, uh, out to sea. And it's going right out into the ocean. In just a moment, I'll be catching up to where it actually reaches the river mouth. Last time I was here and with you, I thought I might have seen some a seal coming up river with the incoming tide. Currently, the tide is going out, and this river is flowing quite heavily because we've had a lot of rain this winter so far at this point. So it's moving quite a bit, and I wouldn't think the seal would be up here in this amount of river action. Anyhow, uh, just a reminder, I was confused a little bit whether or not those were female golden eyes that were on the river. Remember I said that a seal would be maybe popping his head up now because I was observing the bubbles underwater? and explaining how seals do, in fact, come up the rivers in certain areas, and how cool that is, and uh, how startling and sometimes surprising it can be. Anyhow, I thought that's maybe what was happening, and then these two ducks popped up. I thought, yeah, maybe they were female golden eyes. And then all of a sudden I started hemming and hawing, and I promised to get back, but yeah, in fact, they were uh, female golden eyes, and they were just diving there, feeding, and that's what they were. But yeah, pretty cool. So I'm at the same spot right now. Different conditions, the storm is over, and the tide is out. Uh, quite a ways, in fact. So I can see through the trees now. Once again, it's a relatively old forest here. You know, the trees, uh, breast height diameter, the one I'm looking at right now, is about a meter and a half. And this one here is about three quarters of a meter. That one over there is about a meter, that's a meter. Other ones are like three quarters of a meter. There's another one that's like a meter and a half. So that's about the size of the width. Ooh, there's some bigger ones here. And a bunch of them are having these great shapes that are hanging all over and right next to the river. And, you know, they deal with the forces of nature here big time because this is a heavy weather coastline. And they're right here at the edge of that coastline. But it's also a cool spot because it's right at the mouth of the river. And river estuaries can't always be fascinating places for birds. It's quite diverse. You can imagine the fresh waters flowing into the ocean and bringing all the stuff and little creatures and all the sediments and nutrients down from up above in the watershed, letting it come out into the ocean. So in certain ways it does attract life and also, you know, it's the breeding areas for many species of fish and salmon, salmonids, salmonids, etc. and so forth. Yeah, so now you can just see areas here where I was before. I was describing these big overhanging roots where there's kind of like a sea cave underneath. And the water was up and under and gurgling and all around. And it was all very high tide. And you could really feel the elements of nature at that point because it was high energy. Now the water's out. So the tide's quite out when I'm here today. And as you can really just see, the river's over there now. And I'm quite a ways from it, cruising through the woods on this trail once again and trying to get to back out to that edge again and see if we can see some seabirds this time. Since I'm all the way up here, I'm basically forced to go out here with you now because I feel a bit of a responsibility to go and check it out. Even though in reality I'm simply walking alone here through the woods again, pretending as though I have someone to talk to. But actually, I may in fact, should you be listening. So that's kind of an interesting thought for me. 
But, uh, you know, I know I always focus on nature and all that kind of stuff. That's not all I ever think about. But it has a big, does play a big role in my life. And it's never far from mind. So, yeah, I just get onto that. But, you know, do other stuff too. And I'm always just trying to hang in there and keep it all together in general. Yeah, with a good attitude and good intent. So that's what I'm doing right now, with my chin up, pointing forward along the path with a slight head breeze. And with the slightly elevated tilt of my brow, I can now see over through the edge of the forest where it's now out into the open beach. And of course, the North Pacific. And yeah, so um, once again, this area is uh, really just the furthest part out there that we got here in Canada on the West Coast. And so, you know, again, a lot of times I try and speak in what I call biogeographical terms. I use that sort of uh, heading because that's as close as I can get to thinking in terms of how I might be thinking sometimes. Uh, Biogeography, you know, how landscapes interface with the actual living world back and forth. And this notion of wilderness, which takes it into a bit of a different direction, because that's basically inherent ecological ecosystems as they emanate from the earth. Uh, you've got the sort of human aspect as we, we as human societies relate to the earth, etc. and so forth. How may that now be affecting, you know, everything else around us? So, yeah, think about those things. But here I am, walking along here. I can see a eagle trying to just make his way. Oh, isn't that embarrassing? That wasn't an eagle. That is embarrassing. That's a seagull. But the gull is flying over the flats here where the water is spilling out into the ocean. It's Again, it's a calm day. Yeah, thank you, Seagull. See, he just verified it for me. And, uh, yeah, we're just trying to make our way out further. So it would be really cool if we could get out here and just, like, wander down to the edge at lower tide and then see if we can see something crazy like red-throated loons, perhaps. Um, it's a little more... The last place we were at in the last episode is more of an open, flat beach, and it's kind of hard to access the, the rugged edge like this place here, where you can just go out on the rocks and basically come down to the high water mark right there and at least stare at it. And so um, it's a little deeper, more complex, just out of that one spot. So there's also related activities. We did uh, see the loon chase last time, which was this crazy chase. I mean, I've seen loons get all torquey like that before, but never to that extent as that last episode where the loon out here was going nuts on the other loon. Anyways, I'm basically head high Salal and Huckleberry in here. I cannot see the ocean now until just now where it's opening up again. Yeah, so the tide is way out and the beach is way out and it's quite something. You can see all the rockweed. There's tide pools down here. Hmm. Yeah, maybe I should go down to those tide pools. Yeah, I'm just going to go to that tide pool. Why wouldn't I do that now? I haven't been down there for 
Probably never. Maybe when I was younger. So we're just stepping through the roots here onto these rocks and hoping they're not going to be too slippery. Going out here, down towards the rockweed. Ooh. Yeah. So. Yeah. Now, you know what? I think I'm going to keep going just a little higher than this. So, because I think there's better stuff up ahead. Not to say that any one spot is better than the other, but might be easier. I really want to crack a knee on that right there. So I'll just keep cruising until we get further out here. Yeah, it's interesting, you know, uh, to think, again, we, this is what I always think about, sometimes talk about, is this notion of coming from the earth as uh, this collective uh, group of entities that we all are out here in space-time, in the unfolding moment with each other, you know, everything from the field mouse in your closet to a cormorant to a puffin to a whale to an ant to a termite to you, in fact, and me, in fact, and all the other things that make us up. Um, again, so yeah, just thinking about that and walking along the edge of the shoreline where there is an interface between some pretty rugged marine environment and a terrestrial environment. And in there is this zone of wash where the waves are constant on a basically day-to-day-to-day-to-day -to -day -to -day basis. So whatever wave action is going to wear it down, it's been wearing it down. And yeah, and right across from that, it's all sand. Glacially deposited sand and sand picked up from the storms in the southeasters and from the tides flowing out and around through the northeast of our islands and out towards then the west to the open ocean. Depositing it along the way, wind and currents. Yeah, creating a place like a landscape, basically, when the accreting sand dunes, you know, then uh, terrestrial environments start occurring and life spreads out and also utilizes that zone. And life keeps emanating in all the various forms. All the ones you know nothing about or I know nothing about are all emanating and doing their thing. And I think that's important to remember. And we know nothing about their thing, what it is they're doing or why, or the relevance of their lives. Uh, yeah. But I know that's, you know, just one way to open up your brainstem a little. Think about it. But, and some people might think that's a little much to deal with a horsefly in that regard. But, uh, you know, whatever. It's just a thought. You know, that's all it is, is a thought. You know, I'm standing over this. There's so much water, you know, like where I think about it. I'm currently in a temperate rainforest, right? Like a majorly temperate rainforest. And it's been raining a lot this winter. And this is, you know, basically February, right? And it's a calm day today, but the water's draining out. And it's coming down off the slope of this big promontory here. Well, it's a localized promontory here at the head of the beach. And 
um, yeah, trickling down from its face, basically, is, uh, you know, a fair bit of water. And it's pooling up in various areas, but it's still making its way down through the forest floor, underneath overhanging root fans and big snags and, and areas where there's hanging vines. And when I say hanging vines, what I really meant was hanging ferns and also the bracket fungus. And then I'm looking at, you know, the poor, heavily browsed huckleberries as well. Yeah, just keep cruising, keep cruising. And there's just a lot of littoral... Oh gosh, is that the right term? No, there's just a lot of deposition here that's coming down from the trees in the form of broken branches and limbs and coarse weed debris, leaves from the alders, and a whole bunch of spruce needles. But of course, it's the middle of winter, and when this is already partially through a lot of decay, so by spring this will all be recon figured into soil, right, that the um, soil organisms will be using to feed themselves and then to convert the nutrients, the little bit of nutrients they have through that little thin layer where they're just uh, cycling those nutrients back into the other plants. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so uh, a lot of times when you look at things that way and you look at diversity, it gets kind of complex. Here uh, in the terrestrial environment, it's not as complex in certain ways with regards to biodiversity as, say, compared down off the coast of Costa Rica, where you would have a really just quite a heavily heavy, or down in the Amazon, where you'd have a really very high level of biodiversity in terms of just species. Here we have a lot of biomass, just a whole lot of life. But in the terrestrial environment, not necessarily quite as much biodiversity in terms of plentitude of species diversity. So that's just one kind of thing to remember. It's kind of like climbing a mountain. When you climb a mountain, uh, you get up into the above the tree line, and you get into the alpine, subalpine and the alpine, right? And then you get into the glaciers. Well, that's kind of like going up uh, the side of the earth. You're going up the top of the earth, you know, it gets the same way. If I, you go through the forest and finally get to the tundra again, which is like the open alpine of a mountain, and then, you know, into the glaciers, which is kind of like the North Pole. So you have related uh, sort of or associated types of species that live in these types of environments and can be found further south in latitude sometimes in similar type zones, but further down in terms of latitude. And it's just kind of something to think about. So it's another way to kind of window in and window out. You're looking at habitats and how certain types of habitats are in fact distributed in various ways around the planet. And some of them get isolated and by virtue of the fact that they're just high alpine peaks, right? And they're holding some plant communities there that might be actually remnants from a past time of connectivity where they lived out on a larger tundra-like plain but are now isolated, sort of like a forest plot surrounded by corn. Yeah, so now I'm just kind of coming out through the thick, shrubby outer layer tunnel of this. Um, oh, there is an eagle right over my head, and he's cruising right along the, the cliff face there in the fog, just along down there. Yeah. 
And I'm just going to keep walking higher here, but this one, in short order, I'm going to be looking out over the North Pacific here and down these really beautiful rocks again, where we've been before, I brought you here before. And yeah, it's just kind of fun to come out here and see what's going on with the seabirds. They don't seem to be the big giant groups out here that I can see right off the bat. But as I emerge, I'll keep looking. And uh, yeah, it's just a beautiful, beautiful day. And I'm going to go down, make my way further down right down to the edge where the North Pacific is touching the edge of this rock. And we'll go take a look at that. And if I can't see anything, that's probably gonna be my last hurrah for these podcasts for this particular period in time because like I said, I need somebody to transport my SD card. Or maybe I don't need that. Ooh, hey, there's a seal. I just gotta get my act together ultimately. There's, ooh, there's a, okay, so there's some scoters hanging up there. They're just sleeping right up here close to the rocks. I'm going to see if I can kind of get close to them. Yeah. So there's some scoters, but this is like a really sweet beach. Um, Last time I was here doing this with you guys is uh, I actually kind of reached over the edge and recorded the the swish of the um, the big surging water I remember if you can remember that episode I was actually recording the sound of gravel and it was all kind of popcorning up all over the rocks all around big swish and polishing on the outgoing what now I'm about to I'm walking down those rocks that was getting totally surged with water I'm trying not to slip and I got my new boots on so I could do a, this is good, you see now what they're worth. And then, I'm gonna jump into this gravel, which was getting swished around. This is awkward, because I've had wipeouts before. Here I go, hang on. Hopefully they won't wipe out. Sweet, I did it. Sorry I exposed my tentativeness to you. Yeah, I'm looking now at these great rocks down here. And ooh, there's a giant chunk of a barnacle. That's kind of cool. Looks like the eye of a chameleon. You know those chameleons that snap their tongues out and they're kind of crazy looking? This one barnacle looks like the eye. Here's a blue mussel. It's still got the goopy part of the abductor muscle on there. It's all open and I can smell the inside. So maybe there was a oyster catcher or something came up here and opened it and there's another razor clam opened up. Yeah, so that's just, and just a, sh- and then all, the, now it's very fine. And so on this beach, it's just a whole lot of like broken up clamshells that are just like really, really fine. So it makes it kind of, and there is a beautiful bird. Okay, I'm just, I should be paying attention. Okay, um, gosh, these rocks are just unbelievable too. Unbelievable. Like right now, it's just this, I've seen this place pulsate in here. And you definitely wouldn't want to be in here swimming around at the high tide when it's doing that. Right now, it's not high tide, so... These rocks, I'm up against them right now, and they're just slippery. They're, um, they've got kind of a greasy kind of film on them with like rockweed type sort of seaweeds. And inside the creva- crevices of all these little crevices in there, there's like one like jammed in like rock that fits in there perfectly. And there's another one. They're just little tiny things. They must have somehow got washed in there. 
And then now in that little tiny cleft in that little crevice are all these little baby barnacles that are just in there. And Camino must just barely be able to survive in there. And then along, if I just step back a bit, I'm going to step back at arm's length from this head wall that I'm looking at, which is quite fascinating. So imagine it's very, it's like, uh, it's just crazy looking this formation. Uh, I, I'm going to have to learn more about it, but it almost looks like lava kind of accreted here or somehow came here and then hardened. But I could be completely off on that. I'm not certain. Um, and, but they got these potholes in there. They're almost like completely circular. And inside of these ones, this one you could put a ping pong ball in, maybe, right? And you could put a little ping pong ball in there and it would have room to rattle around if you blew on it. And inside of there, I can account one, two, there's gotta be like 30 uh, of these periwinkle snails, right? And some of them, oh, and some of them are very, very small, and some of them may in fact have uh, hermit crabs uh, inside of those shells, but it's just like a mini little uh, cave. I'm talking super mini, but it's, a, it's deep. Like it goes in, I'm putting my finger in now, and it goes into the, the depth of my first big knuckle on my pointer finger, you know? And then you could put like three fingers in there. So, you know, it's pretty, it's like you could put a, stuff a ping pong ball in there. And there's just all these snails clammed in there. And here's, there's a bunch of these little holes. And on this one, really, there's nothing in there except one little tiny, tiny, tiny crustacean of some kind. And the next one is just got its own big limpet that's in there. There's a limpet living in there and he must be feeding. I know they like to eat algae, so he's cruising along these rocks and he's probably feeding on this little bit of algae. And I, I can pretty much assure you that's the same thing these snails are doing. So they must just cling to this rock face and just sort of cruise along on it. Now there's a, now here's a proof of that, you know, I'm looking over here and here's a uh, periwinkle clinging to the face. So, you know, you've seen these advertisements or these shows, extreme shows, where people are climbing a rock face and they're on this big vertical face. Well, this guy has already come over this big overhang, sliming his way up here, and is now on this overhanging bowl of a face. And he's doing his thing here while he's feeding casually, and that's just a snail, right? So it's just hard to imagine the excitement that he must be experiencing on that face. And inside of here, that rock face, you know, it's pretty extreme. Oh, gosh. Oh my gosh, you look into this little hole and it goes straight back. It's about an inch and, a qu inch and a quarter wide, but it just goes straight back. And it goes back about six inches and then there, there's little tiny beings. I'm gonna pull one out, I don't know what they are. Oh, and there's a little tiny little bit of stuff in there. I'm just gonna leave it all just the way it is. Even though I know the next washout will just kind of wash a whole lot of that out, right? But uh, it seems as though the life forms do seem to cling in there. Now, I'm working, I'm working higher up away from the water, and I'm finding more and more of these holes. Most of all are filled full of periwinkle snails. And anyways, it's quite fascinating. I mean, I know I can get all into it. And then I'm turning around, and I'm looking at this. It's like a surge channel of a beach. And it's flanked by these big rock formations and then filled inside with all this beautiful gravel, which is quite refined because of all the wave action down the further you go. And there's just a lot of shells in there as well that are just ground down. So I'm going to come closer. Okay, look at that. Now there is, yeah, some scoters, surf scoters. Just the same scoters hanging out there. So now I'm looking along this other rock face, which is now much closer to the... Uh, 
low tide and I'm just seeing a lot of limpets, you know, a lot of limpets. And uh, yeah, I had the good fortune of, um, of uh, showing some people around here. Uh, one fellow, he came from the UK and turned out to be an expert in limpets worldwide. And I found that fascinating to, in fact, meet a limpet expert. If you don't know what a limpet is, L-I-M-P-E-T, limpet, it's a marine organism which basically clings to the rocks and it has like a, a snail-type shell in a way which is conical. And they live in groups and they are relatively social, it seems, uh, if you observe them in their way. And they'll group up together, and it's almost like um, boats pulling into harbor, and you find them grouped uh, when they're feeding, and like they're doing here. So, yeah, it's just some crazy stuff, and they move in a different sort of time, space, environment than we do, so it's kind of hard to perceive what Olympus uh, going through when he is uh, making his way across this really heavy-duty surf line coast, uh, where the logs and the rocks and the waves just pound. And he just clings in there. But you can see in these little uh, enclaves, they're, uh, like I was talking about before, these holes, which are essentially, you could either put a, a golf ball in or you could put like a tennis ball in, but they're round like that. And each one is basically uh, um, this just total haven for limpets. And they live in their way there. They're just totally packed in and totally filling in that zone. So that must be a really kind of good hangout. Now, I don't know if that would, you know, in, in some way, maybe, uh, I, you know, what's the, the breeding cycle of these guys? I don't know. I should look up some more, too. I'm all of a sudden now just getting pulled in by these little limpet colonies. Yeah, I encourage you to look up. The, this one's kind of green. And uh, the other one's kind of got these little stripes on them, and they're sort of scallop shells. Their conical points kind of move forward in a sort of a forward direction. They don't come right up in sort of an apical sort of uh, centrical way in the middle. They kind of move forward sort of like a, um, a, a, a speed skier's helmet, you know, how they kind of sweep down. And just below all of these limpets, it seems almost in a stratified zone of a way, just above are the limpets and just below is a, a slight barnacle face which the limpets don't seem to be on so much they're in close to it but then also a whole bunch of blue mussels these ones are largely all just babies and they're hanging out here at this edge where they can somehow survive the water going down they just live there it's kind of fascinating they can live in that zone where the water's really not you know it leaves them for quite a while and they're just having to hang out there yeah, it's just so fascinating, really, just to sit here and stare at these rocks. The further down you get, you know, there's more rock weeds of sorts. And you can see where it's all clean and totally clipped off by the... Uh, where the limpets just must graze it, you know, and keep it nice like this, because it looks kind of palatable uh, to be moving around on as a limpet. It's kind of slimy and slippery in a way that would probably facilitate their, um, their movements. Yeah, now I'm going to almost get my feet wet, and that's where all the blue mussels are, and the barnacles. None of the barnacles are really that big, but they're quite cool looking, and you've got these sort of big honking, or bigger ones, that are surrounded by all the babies, right? Like, I can see this one little colony here where there's, you know, like, three, four, like, of these barnacles, and then in there are, are interspersed with a whole bunch of little barnacles, almost like a honeycomb in a... And a bee, in a bee colony where they have the honey. 
with all the little baby barnacles all around. And then interspersed inside of that are all these little baby blue mussels, right? And then on the side, you know, rockweed hanging over. And then the limpets cut like their own hangout all around, even interspersed in there. So that's all the kind of stuff that's happening on this rock face. And there are some sort of plant formation types, algaes, I'm going to say, that I can't fully describe. They almost look like, um, oh, kind of like gum stain or something on there. I can't imagine. And, uh, yeah, so I'm going to walk over to the other side <coughs> and turn this off. Oh, here comes a cormorant. Yeah, flying right over my head and it's going to drop down there. Anyways, I'm just going to turn this off now and scramble up this rock. And thank you once again for bearing with me. Okay, see ya.